shotglassdigital.com. Rebel Force Radio presents... This is Master Obi-Wan Kenobi. I regret to report that both our Jedi Order and the Republic have fallen. This is Star Wars Rebels Declassified. I like the sound of that. A roundtable discussion about Star Wars Rebels. Pretty gutsy move, kid. I am the Inquisitor. Or Boston. Chopper, get us out of here. Now it's time for Star Wars Rebels Declassified. All right, it's been a long time coming, but we are finally here and assembled for the first official episode of Star Wars Rebels Declassified right here on Rebel Force Radio. And if you're new to this type of concept, this type of program, what we're going to be doing is we're going to be reviewing each and every episode of Star Wars Rebels. Sometimes we take them episode by episode. Sometimes we batch them up and take them arc by arc. At least that's what we did with the Clone Wars. And that's what we'll do here. So you got to keep your MP3 players, your cellular phones, whatever, tuned right here to hear a weekly breakdown of what's going on in this exciting new chapter in the Star Wars saga. And we've got a great panel assembled to discuss. First of all, how could we do it without him? My good friend and yours from Chicago, Jimmy Mack. Hey, Jason. Hey, Star Wars Rebels fans. Yes, been waiting a long time to be saying that into this microphone. It's been a long time coming. Star Wars Rebels. Now, Jason, you and me did get to see this first episode, Spark of Rebellion, in a top-secret screening a few months ago, and we've had to keep quiet about it up until now. So I'm really looking forward to tearing this episode apart, this mini-movie, this awesome kickstart to uh, what what is going to shape out to be a killer addition to the Star Wars saga. And uh, can't wait to get into it with you guys tonight. Yes, and with all the discussion surrounding the really overt overt tribute to the visual language of star wars as uh, as created by ralph mccory couldn't think of anybody better to kick things off with us uh, especially talking about that aspect of the show but uh our good buddy paul bateman Woo-hoo, welcome budget. back paul excited <laughs> very happy yeah well we're happy to have you back with us and here's a special surprise for you long-time listeners out there. We, we brought him back. Uh, we, we found him. He's still on hiatus, but we, <laughs> we bring him, we unfreeze him from carbonite. Uh, our old buddy, Pete, Pete Nadel joining the round table. Welcome home, Star Wars fans. Uh, hey, I, I know it's been a long time since I've been on, and I kind of need to catch up on some things, but have you guys heard that they're going to do an Episode 7? We, we, I mean, <laughs> this, this is amazing. It, it just hit the local newspapers as news, so I, I finally have got up. So, uh, Pete, of actually, course, uh, Pete, of course, is... Uh, most people don't know, know this, but Pete has moved. He uh, now lives in the year 2012. <laughs> that's exactly right um you know i'm completely up to date so let's talk some clone wars all right yeah well wait a minute wait a minute hold on (laughs) 
<laughs> hey, you know what? I think I think this deserves a little bit of setup uh, for some of our newer listeners. Pete Natal, of course, one of the pioneers of Star Wars podcasting. He was back there in the early days with uh, Jason Manning, the mics going, gosh, way back to when did you guys start? 2006. 2006, yeah. Woo! Weren't many Star Wars shows out there uh, at that time, uh, if any. So uh, it's great to have Pete back behind the mic. Of course, I did tell people to expect the usual suspects for this first roundtable talking about Star Wars Rebels. And, of course, notably absent is Kyle Newman. Kyle got held up. Uh, You know, being a young father, he has... Certain parenting duties that come across his <laughs> come across his uh, way from time to time. So he's uh, busy with his family today. Uh, but Kyle will be joining us, no doubt about it, for future episodes of Star Wars Rebels to classify. By the way, that was very kind of you to call him a young father. I don't know about that. He's a father of a young child. <laughs> I don't know if I'd call him a young father. New father. New father. Well, yeah, I guess. I guess. You know. You get my book. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. What you don't know about Paul Bateman is he is a very young-looking 74-year-old man. It's uh, it's astonishing, but he's clean-living. Like so I have a strange idea. Young parents, you know. Yeah. Do you ever stop and think to yourselves that we, we could possibly be still podcasting about Star Wars when we're in our 70s? Have you guys ever actually considered that? It's a definite, isn't it? Bound to happen. <laughs> That's actually the next time I'm scheduled to be on. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> See, you know, you, uh, that's that's how it works. Is that like Pete's sort of like the Mark Hamill? He's like, could we do this again in like thirty years? Like, <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll we'll bring you back. You'll be the old one then. Um, <laughs> well, all right, let's talk about this. This is um, I'm excited to talk about this. I've I've watched it several times now, and. Uh, each time, it just gets, I think, I get more excited about the future of this series uh, with, with every viewing. And, um, but I want to talk a little bit about, right, off the, right out of the gate, sort of the premise. The premise of this show and how we feel it could, should, might fit into canon. And, um, Jim, when we spoke to Dave Filoni back in uh, August when we went out to uh, San Francisco... You know, one of the things he mentioned to us is that, you know, people are going to be talking about, well, wait a minute, I thought there was only one Jedi left. I thought that, you know, Luke was the new hope. He was the, he was the only one. Yet there was another that was clearly Leia. I mean, there's all this dialogue in the original trilogy that seems to um, imply that the Jedi are all but extinct, right? Yet we have... Kanan, we have, uh, a, what, for all intents and purposes, a Padawan in Ezra. But Dave said that, well, if the Skywalker story is happening all the way over here to the right, it's not unreasonable to assume that this show is happening all the way over to the left. Uh, does, that, does that jive with you, or, or do you feel that, that they're really kind of uh, walking on thin ice with this? premise well they're definitely walking on thin ice um for this particular time period five years prior to the events of star wars and new hope i think that what dave says does apply however once we get into the time frame of the original trilogy 
you have to throw that notion right out the window. Because when Yoda passes away, he says, when gone am I, the last of the Jedi, you will be. And I believe Yoda to be the top authority on those things. I think that if there was any other spark of a Jedi practicing the Force out there in the universe, Yoda would have picked up uh, But on that's it. a great question. Pete, what defines a Jedi? I mean, well, it, that's it, really. You know, is is Kanan really a Jedi? Did he ever finish his training sufficiently? Is Ezra going to ever get there because he's got no real master? So uh, they've they've got they've left themselves the sufficient amount of wiggle room that they typically do to to maneuver around all of that dialogue and say, well, here's how it is. It's basically, what they've already started of okay. Here, over here on one universe and over here on the other. And it, it does make sense, and it's just whether you want to uh, push them to the limit on, uh, on that or not or just uh, sit back and go, well, I guess it could happen. You know, okay, so there's a loophole. There is a loophole. But something I found myself constantly asking was what is going to happen with Kanan? I really don't believe he will survive this series. And much like Ahsoka, where the questions were coming right out of the box. What happens to Ahsoka? Everyone was peppering Filoni. Does Ahsoka die? Ashley Eckstein couldn't go anywhere without people asking her what happens to Ahsoka because Ahsoka is out of the picture by the time of the events of Revenge of the Sith. So a lot of people assume that she was killed off. Kanan is for all we know, out of the picture by the events of A New Hope. So what happens to him? How come nobody is asking that question of Freddie Prince Jr. nonstop? Does, is Kanan going to die? I want people to start asking uh, Filoni. This is a time-honored tradition for Star Wars fans. We have to pick that one character. <laughs> well, it is the first episode still, so <laughs> right. I haven't been able to pin him down yet. But I'm, what I'm saying this is, is, again, I believe Yoda to be the top authority on these things. I think that Yoda communicating with Qui-Gon Jinn gave him a level of knowledge and a level of insight that is unparalleled to anyone else in the universe. And along with that, it gets strengthened by his communication with Obi-Wan Kenobi, who comes into the mix after the events of A New Hope. I believe that if Kenobi, if the spirit of Kenobi and or the spirit of Qui-Gon Jinn were able to somehow funnel any sort of energy into Yoda as far as knowledge of other Jedi existing out in the universe, and Kanan is as close as you can get, then they would say, oh, there is another, and another. <laughs> you know? uh, yeah, well, that's, that's true, but Paul, l- let me ask you, the, the, the phenomenon of midichlorians being strong or ab- abnormally high in a, a living being, let's say a humanoid or what have you, um, that's that's a natural phenomenon. That is something that that's not going to be stopped just because the empire is now in power. So when we talk about well, what defines a Jedi? Jimmy was saying if there's anybody out there using the Force, um, Yoda would know, and it would it would um, color his remarks that we hear him say in Return of the Jedi. But there've got to be Force sensitives out there that are making their their baby toys, you know move forward and backward or what all kinds of things happening that the empire can't really stop right yeah i mean i i always kind of thought when when i was picturing the the purge of the jedi as a kid back in the 70s you know thinking about what might have happened 
Um, before we'd even heard about midichlorians, you know, I, I was kind of imagining that that the that the Empire would have like hunting dogs or kind of robot dogs to hunt down the Jedi. And then uh, when I saw Phantom Menace and and realised how you could they could physically test people for uh, you know the the testing their uh, midichlorian count, I always thought. Well, that, that kind of fits in with that daft idea as a kid. You could have these robots that can kind of smell the force on you, you know? Because, mm-hmm. I mean, if they've got, like, machinery that can detect whether or not you've got midichlorians, and maybe they'd have, like, you know, droid hunting dogs to, to track them down. But that was just a, a little fantasy that I had as a kid. But um, So would- well, let me ask you this, though, because that's a great question, or that's a great that concept. Do you think that there could be an aspect of this where the Empire, I mean, I guess it would make sense that Palpatine... Uh, we know from an episode of the Clone Wars that he was looking at uh, he was kidnapping four sensitive children at one point could he be could he be doing sort of a like is there almost like a holocaust happening of force sensitives perhaps that we're not aware of it seems that way i mean why why i always thought why i always thought was like it's in yoda's best interest to you know i mean he he barely knows luke when he tells him you know hey look you know the last of the jedi will he be and all that you know i mean he's he's not seen that much of him i know we're sort of supposed to you know assume that they've got this strong connection and everything but I mean, surely it's in Yoda's and, and, you know, the future of the Jedi's kind of best interests for, for everybody to just kind of continue thinking that there aren't any Jedi left. How do we know Yoda's telling the truth? He might not be. But the other thing that made me, made me think there was, like, maybe Yoda, I mean, he is 800 years by the time he, he, uh, he croaks. So you, you do kind of think, like, he's probably like one of these old guys that just keeps, you know, banging on about the Clone Wars. And the rest of the Jedi are probably hiding anyway, just because every time they bump into him, he just can't stop talking about, oh, back in the Clone Wars, we're manic. <laughs> <laughs> they like- they're like, yeah, yeah, we're dead. Yeah. Yeah, Frank's dead as well. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> Definitely none left. Yeah, I'm sorry we can't come around today, but, you know. <laughs> so what, what Paul's basically saying is that Dagobah is essentially the Star Wars version of, like, the American Legion Hall or... Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, everybody's been mean to him. So there might be thousands of Jedi who just, you know, Yoda doesn't know. <laughs> right. Well, I, I mean, it, it, it is true. But so, Jim, where would you put – you said, okay, well, Kanan's the closest thing we have to a Jedi. Let's, let's talk about uh, Kanan for a minute. Is, would you consider him by definition? Is he, is he a Jedi Knight? Well, he was very young, and he was still learning. So, no, you know, no, you, you can't. But it, it depends on, I guess, you know – all Jedi sort of walk a different path, and he had received plenty of formal training. I believe he was 14 years old when uh, Order 66 went down. So he received a fair amount of training, and maybe he's been in touch with the Force to a degree to where he can be considered a Jedi. Would he be considered a full-on knight or master? I, you know, that's, that's hard to determine. It depends, I guess, on how well he's able to train Ezra in the future. But for all we know from things like, you know, the book A New Dawn and, uh, and other material that's come out with this show, um, it does indicate that Kanan is not a Jedi. He is not a fully-fledged Jedi knight. Well, and he's there's also the spark of rebellion, but there's also a Pete spark of romance a little bit there too going on. Hey, you you can't avoid it in the Star Wars universe. If you're if you're a sexy pilot, you're gonna get uh, you're gonna get your share of eyes turned your direction. And I was, well, who's the I was sexy kind of, pilot in this case? Uh, well, it, you know, it's either Hera or it's Han. You know, it's, right? It's whichever uh, you want to be, but. 
I was kind of surprised at the uh, the design of the characters, just from that standpoint. That uh, it's they kind of ramped up the uh, attractiveness on the on the female characters. And and I'm I'm gonna have to say that I'm not sure that Hera. I know we we've seen some things where Hera and and Kanan have this kind of understated um, tension between them. Can't understand why she would go for him. He he kind of just looks like. I mean, I guess the Jedi thing works, uh, you know, uh, as a wingman, but um, direct. Jedi thing, not really all that attractive. And then the goatee ponytail thing, he just looks like the bass guitarist from any 70s rock band. (laughs) And it just doesn't do it. You know, I. I, Okay. Do you feel that the character design is a little nondescript or is it too descript? Where are they. I think it plays right into the, the. the era, because if you look at uh, the original trilogy, it was a very 70s look for almost everybody there, even though they tried to you know, make it tailor it and make it a little bit uh, bland. But everybody, you, you can pick out the 70s haircuts. On, yeah, on there's no there, mistake so. that that movie was made in the 70s. I mean, I know George says, oh, I specifically avoided fashion. Um, but, dude, anybody seeing Lando's. Lando's get up. I mean, that he was not. Hamill's I mean, haircut. Right, the it's, hair it's, was was maybe a little unfair, but I mean, the the yeah. the clothes. Yeah, it was clearly seventy. So, so you're saying that there was obviously a, an awareness and a recognition of that as they were designing these characters, conscious or unconscious. I mean, it just seems a little bit obvious that uh, you know this is a little bit of Woodstock in in there, and I think Zeb has a little bit of Bluto uh, Blutarski in him, yeah. and. <laughs> Ezra may be the, the, the one that kind of managed this to pull the generations together because he's got a little Bieber going on. And, you know, I don't want to sound like Grandpa Corolla, but I don't want that kid on my lawn. <laughs> <laughs> well, Paul, um, let's 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 talk about the, uh, the the visual language of this of this show. Um, Pete's he's saying that he's seeing this visually so far in terms of character design as kind of leading up into what we what we what we uh, know and expect from original trilogy. How well do you think they have visually bridged the gap between Clone Wars and Episode Four: New Hope? Here, I think I think they've done a really nice job of it. First of all, I've got to address the elephant in the room there, and that I, I don't have a problem with goatee beards and seventies haircuts at all. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's the way forward. Like <laughs> <laughs> the flares is what I say. But, the, uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, no, I mean, I I kind of feel like it was, you know, it's it's you know that all joking aside, that's part of it, you know, that kind of old fashioned look, you know. I mean, I, I think I think it's part and parcel of it. In fact, I think I think in the you know the few instances where they kind of get quite contemporary. You know, I found it a, a tiny bit jarring. I mean, there are only a couple of places, but I, I think that, you know, that, that adherence to kind of, you know, a very, very strongly Ralph-influenced uh, approach for me is, is just goldest. I absolutely adore it. I mean, as, you, as you'd expect. But the thing that's nice is that, you know, when I, when I saw a lot of this stuff as stills um, initially, you know, I wasn't necessarily as hot for it as you might think, you know, as a, obviously as a huge, you know, enthusiast of Ralph's work. Um, you know, I, I kind of felt like like the cartoony version of it was not quite as elegant as um, as Ralph's approach normally is. You know, I mean, it, he, he very much was kind of you know he he wasn't happy with a few things in the movies because they they kind of you know they sort of simplified and uh, you could argue kind of cartoonified some of his ideas. Um, and so for this, this this kind of felt like that, but even more. But, but I have to say that I did a complete U-turn having seen it, you know, in, in motion. In that I think that a lot of the stuff that I kind of felt looked um, 
maybe a little too simple. I thought I thought worked really, really well in the context of the show. I mean, I loved how plasticky the troopers felt. You yes. know, and I, I like the fact that they, you know, they didn't just lift Ralph's ideas. They did their own thing with it, and I'm I'm certain that Ralph would would enjoy and you know appreciate their their nod you know and uh everything from the fact that zeb you know they changed his feet like in rain ralph's ralph's rendition of of uh of, of the early chewbacca you know he's got these great big socks on basically big baggy boots you know very medieval looking boots and pointy pointy shoes but zeb obviously has these kind of you know these lizard feet that you can kind of cling to things with so i, I thought the whole the whole look of it was, you know, was a, a lovely nod to, to Ralph and Joe's work, especially and uh, and Nilo and uh, and for me, it just felt like it sat, you know, perfectly between the the prequel trilogy designs and and the, and the old movies. Uh, I mean, it, <clears throat> I was a bit confused about the the time frame there because I don't think they actually spell it out as such, do they? Is it, is it meant to be like five years before the the OT? Did they actually say that in the show? Well, you no, know, I don't think they say that in the show, but it's been spelled out by, uh, you know, guys like Dave Filoni in interviews. And, uh, so he's about years, right? I don't know that he's ever come out and said five years. I, uh, I thought that his term was closer to, it's closer to EP4 than it is EP3. Uh, it's specifically out there five years. It has been out there five years. Oh, yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah, okay. Because Obi's looking pretty young, right? Because I mean... He's five years younger than Alec Guinness. Uh, and- yeah, but that's a recording, keep in mind. Ah, uh, uh, yes. Yeah, remember, remember when Obi-Wan stuck around at the temple to you know, send out the, the warning to all the right. Jedi? It was when he recorded it. Got it, I'm got assuming. it. Yeah. Now. Yeah. Cool. The biggest yeah, difference I-, I noticed as far as like, the style between this show and Clone Wars is primarily the fact that Clone Wars looked very painted. Everything looked very painted. And so when they talked about the shinies, you never really saw... The shiny shine, like you do, like you see the stormtroopers shine in this, and that does make it look much more plasticky to me and, and much more screen accurate. I always felt that the the troopers in Clone Wars had more of a matte finish on them, and even mm. though that they they you know would call them shinies, <laughs> they really weren't that shiny. No, I I, I the, the the material I think in some cases. And this is where it, it's, it's, an, it's an odd kind of experience because, as Paul said, there's a, there's a simplification in the character design on the one hand. On the other hand, there are certain things that do really jump out at you, and there are a few sequences where the, it's, it's so tactile. I mean, you can almost feel like you can reach out and touch those, those, that Stormtrooper armor and know what it would, would feel like. Yet, on the other hand, there is a simplification. Jim, you know, when the Clone Wars debuted, there was so much um, reaction to the angular features of the characters, the wooden features. So if, if, if the Clone Wars characters were Thunderbirds and marionettes, are the Rebels characters marshmallows? Marshmallows. <laughs> They're um, very round, and, and they feel to me very soft. Mm-hmm. Whereas you know, Clone Wars was very hard. This whole, if I had to say, the aesthetic of Clone Wars, I thought was very hard, harsh, sharp. Whereas this feels very, even the color palette, soft, uh, rounded, cushy. I don't know. More Disney-like. I, I, I don't. I think that's unfair. I don't think Disney has necessarily cornered the market on it, but. Uh, I mean, some of the characters, like the um, 
who's the guy the the heavy set uh, the oh Taskmaster Grint. Uh, he looks like somebody on that space station in Wally. A yeah, little bit, floating oh, around yeah. on one of those chairs with you know the fat people up there. So do you feel do you feel a character like that is out of place in Star Wars? No, no, not in Star Wars, but, but I mean not in Rebels because everyone sort of has that that same that same look. Um, I don't think it's necessary. I mean, it's just again, it's like we we've used this term before. It's going to be the visual language of this show. So I I wouldn't say it's it's out of place, but it it takes some getting used to. Um, sure. Yeah. I mean, I mean, I, I kind of initially was, you know, when I when I saw the stills and kind of looked at the fact that they'd obviously sacrificed a lot of the three D complexity and the geometry, you know, um, uh, and just chose to to go a more sort of two D textural kind of route, and it, it seemed like an obvious necessity because clearly I think the budget is less than the Clone Wars, um, so time is 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 going to factor into things. But I, I think that. In the same way that they decided to not have reflections in the Clone Wars, you know, and we had a 3PO that was, had a very matte finish and stuff like that. I think once we get accustomed to this, I think it'll, it'll just seem as, as normal as anything. But they're, they're clearly sort of still finding their feet in terms of, um, you know, especially when, you know, you look at the walkies and stuff. You know, you do kind of look at it and think, uh, that model is really kind of odd and not what we're used to. Mm. And and. There is a broad range of what what appears to be acceptable as a as a model in in this show, yeah, but then that was true of the Clone Wars. You know, you looked at you looked at uh, Tyrannus and and some of the other you know incidental characters that will pop up. They're as cartoony as you get, and then you get other characters. You know, like. Uh, that, that would that would almost be photo real. So so I think this has always been the case with uh, the animated Star Wars stuff. You know. Yeah, well, I think that it's it's hard to translate it sometimes because there is so much diversity in mm. in Star Wars in terms of you know the, the, the character design and look that um, you've got you know you, it's one thing to sort of sculpt in 3D animation uh, flesh and blood face and then you've got a Wookiee which is all fur you know and, and fur and we know that fur and um, uh, different types of materials and clothing is one of the most challenging things to do in animation. So, um, I, yeah, there's going to be, there's compromise. Uh, to me, the biggest compromise is clearly the Wookiee model. Um, it really, um, it really feels like, yeah, the old kids toys. It felt, to me, like the, the, the kid felt like the lumpy mask from uh, the holiday special. <laughs> yeah, a little bit. Yeah, a little bit. Put around a balloon and they'd really gone... <laughs> You know, and we have this slated lumpy mask. That's what he felt like to me. Right. <laughs> you know what? Um, as long as we're talking about the Wookiees, um, well, I don't know if I'm allowed to talk about this on the show, but I'm just going to because this is something we found out when we were at Lucasfilm last month. Is uh, that little Wookiee? The little I forget his name. Uh, the, the the kid Wookiee. He is uh, based on uh, the look of uh, Jason Swank. Well, oh, there you go. Well, there yeah, you go. Yeah. I was really hoping for a much grander announcement of this. I finally get some sort of uh, recognition in one of these official series, and uh, Jim mm-hmm. had to. Jim had to. I'm sorry if I stole your thunder. A Jason. little bit. A little but bit. I just, I, now would be the most appropriate time to make that announcement. <laughs> All right. <laughs> yeah. Well, Anthony Daniels did call me an Ewok, so I guess. Well. Ewok, baby, Wookie, pretty close. Pete, I want to talk a little bit about the 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 nature, the, the state of 
the rebellion here at this point, because obviously this is a rebel cell, but there's no mention of the rebel alliance. Are we to assume at this point that the rebels are not united? I I think so. And I I think this is the the series is going to be able to establish a couple things. Uh, one is is that swell of rebellion and what it looks like as as people start to stand up for themselves. And two, one thing that kind of struck me as I was thinking about this uh, over the weekend is uh, for for the thirty and under crowd and, and maybe even a little higher, um, they don't really have the the historical context of what tyranny in a government really is in the way that some of the us older folks might because they didn't grow up with the Cold War and the, the, you know, the communist. Soviet Union and having that c- contrast of you know the Berlin Wall and being on one side versus the other and so I, I think having that this will be able to drive home what it's like or a little more visually uh, what a, a tyrannous government can be and why eventually people get fed up and, and start to rise up against it and uh, as it happens it it starts out as pockets and then everybody starts to come together and unify and that's where the strength comes from. So I think this series will go a long way for reintroducing that type of life to the folks that may not in other realms have been able been introduced to it other than just historical uh, textbooks and things like that. Well, you know, that's an interesting idea because one thing that the, let's say, 30 and under or even – 20 and under what they have the world that they've grown up in is a world where terrorism is uh is a daily occurrence in at least in current events you know hopefully not where you live but in some cases it is where you live and you know one man's freedom fighter is another man's terrorist um it it's it definitely if you look at this from a real real world perspective um the nature of rebellion is a little bit different, as you say, Pete. Uh, those growing up in the Cold War era um, are going to have a much different uh, perspective on this than those growing up in the in a world where battle lines are drawn in very strange ways and um, you know terrorism and and blowing things up. I mean, that's that's really what Sabine is, is she not? I mean, she's um, she's she's blowing up government property. You know, so that's right, and uh, vandalism and going against the man and all those things, but and looking I, I really hot. That, well, <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> uh, not like any of the terrorists I've seen. Uh, yeah, but, yeah uh, right. Yeah, yeah. But, I might be crossing was, lines if they all looked like Sabine myself. <laughs> <laughs> that's, right. that, that's how you can tell the good from the bad. Is the really hot ones are good. Yeah. Uh, so, <laughs> but yeah. you know, it, I think this this can go a long way in, in kind of helping to establish the, the just the lure of Star Wars and and that universe of of why it's it's rebellion versus terrorism. Yeah, it did. I mean, the the genesis of the Star Wars story kind of came out of that uh, that need that George wanted to sort of, you know, reestablish the good guys and the bad guys and the black, literally the black versus the white in terms of black hats, white hats, going back to that whole uh, Western, you know, mode of uh, of how you distinguish between the good and the bad and all of that. But uh, uh, there wasn't a lot of gray until we get into the prequels, and then the prequels introduces. I think um, a, a quite a bit of gray, and then when you get into Clone Wars, it, it even becomes uh, muddier. So interesting to see if this will then kind of go back to that um, that more black and white perspective of uh, of the good versus the bad. Um, 
Paul, as far as this ragtag group of uh, rebels goes, how well do you think they've struck the balance? You know, when you're casting a show, you're gonna you're looking for all different types of of, of characters and how they come together as a family. How did you feel that this this group came together and and gelled as a as an ensemble? Well, I, I initially, I think, was amongst the cynics, you know, which, which uh, I guess is in my nature, although I, I tend to do a, a swift U-turn where, whenever anything finally comes out in the open, then I, I'm, I immediately kind of go, oh, all right, I'm an idiot, and, and, and realize no, no, that... You know what, Paul, me and Jason, we, we never noticed that before. Yeah, no, right, yeah. Noticed that <laughs> you before. But, uh, you know, it's, it, is, it is difficult when you love something so much. This is why there's so much kind of hate on the net about you know various different things to do with Star Wars I guess is because you know it, it's so enormously important to people and, and you really care about it and it really feels like it's a part of your life and and you know it, it's it you know it, it's important to you that it be good you know and and so um but for me I just kind of felt like initially it seemed almost as if they were all hand solo and then um somebody actually kind of broke it down and went well no when you look at it they're, they're more varied than that they, they may all have that kind of rogue aspect but they're not they're not identical characters by any by any shape and and for me i kind of felt like it made me feel two two things when i watched it which one it was almost um almost a robin hood like kind of ensemble you know robin hood and the merry men um you know you had like the 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 uh the big tall guy you know the little little john in in zeb you know and and all the various different kind of you know uh, criminal types you know but they're all varied and different but i also it, it made me feel about like um like R- roman occupied britain in in places when they were in the town because uh, even agent callus's helmet looked a lot like a roman helmet and i know that i know that you know roman roman occupation of, of various different countries all over the world you know factored into george's you know mind when he was he was thinking a lot of the the, the more kind of historical aspects up in as much as the um the the seal for the, re- the rebellion and the seal for the imperials are both um, Roman icons, um, but you know, I mean, they may have occurred in other places at the same time. But they were definitely like shield carriers had those that that signage on their shield. So it it almost felt like you know, like like a, a rainy you know kind of territory occupied by the bad guys. You know, which which Britain obviously was, and the Romans didn't want to be there. And you could tell that the imps were kind of just you know messing with the locals just because they were kind of bored a lot of it i, I got that kind of impression so yeah yeah I, abs- I i think so too i think that um they were um they didn't you know the imperials didn't look like kind of the lean mean fighting machine of the clone wars at all i mean they all look a little you know round and soft and and i i just English. wonder <laughs> I just wonder if we're looking at a at a at a at a fighting force that's that's ripe for the pickings a little bit here, you know? Um they just they seem kind of dim and they felt like I, the, the the Imperials in droids, you know, in the old 80s show, you know, they're just kind of very yeah. very token you know but i mean I, I don't necessarily have a problem with that i think that that's that's part of the entertainment factor oh, oh for sure i i think it is and yeah. i think it's also to show a certain um deterioration already in in the maybe even the collective brain power of the of the empire jim i want to talk to you a little bit about the imperials that we see here um particularly agent callus um this guy has a 
almost like an Inspector Javert kind of vibe to me. I was saying before I started the show, I, I've, I'm seeing all kinds of musical theater references in this from from uh, Ezra, who is right out of Aladdin, to Tarkin Town, which is uh, basically Hooverville and Annie, to the big mutton chops of Agent Callus, which is right out of Les Mis and Inspector Javert. But if we could, I, I'm kind of curious where this is going, because Agent Callus with is is the highest ranking imperial officer that we meet in this episode there there's allusions to tarkin tarkin is the highest up that we hear any reference to there is a little passing reference to the emperor when ezra says uh i you know you're, you're gonna you're gonna be in for it and you find out that i'm the emperor's nephew or whatever but are they do you think we'll ever are they going to keep the scope of this Lo- uh, local to Tarkin on down, or do you think that this will be more like what George talked about, where there will be whispers of Vader, whispers of 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 the Emperor, but it's going to be more hyper local as far as the Empire what we see. I'm sorry, Jason, I wasn't listening. I'm still trying to Google the word Javert. Uh, Javert. <laughs> I can't spell it. Can you please? No. Um, I, you know, I think that this is going to be smaller in scope for sure. I think we're going to be dealing with looking at the impact of imperial oppression on a specific area. And that's going to be the planet Lothal and these characters. Um, how big are the comp- like with Clone Wars of, you know, everything, every battle was just, you know, monumental on the scope of the overall war, you know? I mean, everything had an impact, it seemed. Um, with this, you won't see the impact really on that kind of scale. You'll see the impact more personally on this core group of characters and their surroundings. And, and um, so you're really going to understand very much on that, that level, a very specific level, how imperial oppression is tearing the galaxy apart. I don't think that they're going to be able to resist bigger themes as the show rolls along. And I'll tell you why. Because my prediction about this show is that it is going to see the birth of the rebellion. So we're seeing five core characters here coming together for a common cause. And I think it's going to result in a snowball effect where you're going to see this core group get joined along the way and it's just going to become bigger and bigger and more organized and then it's going to start really making an impact up the ladder to guys like Tark Invader and ultimately the Emperor. So that's what I think we're going to be witnessing here as the show evolves is the evolution of the Rebel Alliance itself. So you're saying that these this will happen over time whereas the the impact of the rebels expands, then we're going to see it finally bring in the, att- the call to the attention of people like Tarkin and Vader and, and, and Palpatine. Right. Uh, right. Kellis yeah. says that the empire is, you know, pays special attention to these recurring uh, rebellious uprisings that are happening in specific areas because they want to isolate these pockets of resistance, smoke them out and wipe them out. And I think you've seen Callus now coming to the planet Lothal because of the activities of just a few, a handful, four people as the show begins. Um, you, you see Callus, you know, gets his attention. So he comes to Lothal. Well, sooner or later, it, like I said, it's going to build and build to where more Imperials up the ladder are going to be alerted to the events happening on Lothal because that's where the rebellion is going to be born. Uh 
Pete, in episode three, a lot of it arguably is is done off screen or in the cut scenes, the, the, the deleted scenes that there is. We kind of assumed that the Rebel Alliance had its birth and its genesis in the Senate with those who were uh, dissenting against imperial, you know, the, the birth of the rebellion. You have your Mon Mothmas, you have um, the, the guy with the big beard. I can't think of his name. Uh, that senator, you have, uh, of course, um, what's his name? The guy with the big beard. Fang Czar. Fang Czar, right. Does he have an action figure yet? No, he's actually, Kyle would ask. Does he have an action figure? No, he should. He's actually Kitster's uncle. That you know, <laughs> that, you have to look very deep in the uh, the databank at StarWorks.com <laughs> to find that information. First fags are, but uh, but then uh, obviously uh, Organa, Bail Organa is. Uh, so I, I guess I'm wondering, where do you see the the actual spark of rebellion? Is it on these systems, or is it within the government? Uh, where is well, the I genesis? Think it, I think it does have to be kind of a collective thing that doesn't just happen with one group that that stands up. It, it, they have to see that there's uh, folks out there that have a similar mindset and that are tired of the same things. And it does happen with a, a, a group that's doing things on the political side and then also on the action side of – uh, you know, actually making some headway against their foothold in, in certain systems. And I think eventually we could see, uh, or if we wanted to dive into it, a, uh, you know, a little bit further, and certainly there's enough content out there, there could be rebellions like this all over the galaxy. And it's just a matter of them all coming together to unite into that one group that becomes the rebels that does uh, finally overthrow the Empire. Uh, I, I don't think it can be as direct forward as, as this is the the spark of rebellion. I think as a, as a fire starts, there are sparks a lot. Uh, you get one major spark, but then it starts to spread. So uh, I, I think we'll see some of these smaller fires start to combine into one large rebellion. And and that's what the, the series, I hope, establishes, at least on some end. Yeah. Um, Paul, Jim mentioned prior that we're going to stay he thinks we're going to stay more local and that Lothal is going to be a, a, our primary or maybe our home base for much of this series though it did expand this week um, or in this initial episode with, with Kessel and of course uh, whether it be the Kessel run or the Spice Mines of Kessel which we hear 3PO uh, threaten R2 with, with, with being sent I'm just curious did, did Ralph do any uh, concept work for Kessel on what Kessel might look like no, he didn't. No, no. But uh, I, I, li- I like their interpretation of it. I like where they went with it. I mean, you know, it's clearly I think the you know all, the only time it's been kind of envisioned properly was just in in the EU, wasn't it? Right. So, it's never been on screen before. No, and I don't think they intended for it to be. So uh, you know, and Ralph never was never asked to do that. But uh, I mean, <clears throat> there, there are things that they're changing that I think you know will will definitely improve the the look of places that have only been kind of realized in 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 the eu but there's other stuff where i think they they do need to take care and clearly they are taking a lot of care but just in terms of of the uh well one of the things i've noticed just recently was that the the um it's going off tangent just slightly but i'll pull it back on topic but you know when we were looking at these these sort of uh potential spoiler alert (laughs) Um, some of the some of the steels that got out from episode seven, they looked like they were they were kind of devices on a on a very verdant location that looked like um, moisture evaporators. 
Um, and I noticed in, in this too that there were moisture evaporators in Talking Town, you know, yeah. or at least something that looked exactly like a moisture evaporator. And I think up until now, you know, when you've, when you've looked at the movies, or we've ever, the only place we've ever seen moisture evaporators was on Tatooine and they appeared nowhere else. So um, I, think, I think like in the pursuit of getting a Star Wars look, you know, and, and getting that Star Wars vibe, I think, I think that they've, they've got to be careful not to throw out, you know, it's, it's internal logic too, because they were definitely meant to be, you know, a moisture evaporator. That's, 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 as I understand it, that's what they were designed to be. So, uh, you, know, you know, I kind of feel like some change is, is, is great and it's going to be, you know, it's just going to improve things. But other change, I think, you know, it will, might be a bit of a surprise, you know. But uh, did I stray completely off topic? No, there? no, not no, no, not not at all, not at all. I am just <laughs> I was just curious if that was the you know if if Ralph had 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 done any work there, and I too was kind of thinking about episode seven because we're seeing, uh, you know, we know that they were shooting in the in the uh, in Abu Dhabi in a mm. in a desert climate, and I just was just just thinking maybe we weren't looking at Tatooine, maybe we were looking at well at Castle. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, I, I think, I think uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's never been designed before, you know, officially for a film, but uh, who knows? I mean, anything goes now. I mean, I mean, the, the thing that's kind of interesting to me about this, this whole episode is, is just, um, I, I was having a chat with uh, Mark Newbold a while ago of, of uh, Jedi News fame, and uh, we, he, he made a comment which I thought was an interesting observation, which was he was sort of saying that, you know, if you, if you took the guy who invented football, you know, a strange analogy to draw, I know, but if you took the guy who, who created football in the first place, he, he wasn't necessarily the best football player, right? Mm. And uh, the analogy he was drawing was, I think we were both looking at George and sort of looking at what, you know, publicly is popular and stuff like that. And Empire certainly, you know, is, is, appears to be the most popular of the movies, but as I understand it, it's, it's George's least favourite, right? And, uh, and, and it's interesting to now kind of be going into this territory where, um, I mean, George isn't really involved in Rebels at all, is he? Compared to to how he was involved in Clone Wars, so this is not, none of not this, from what I from what we understand, not so at all. None of this is is really kind of George's interpretation of his universe. However, you know, it it, it will quickly become canon in the same way that movies will be, and and like all of a sudden, it's like we've got Rebels is now giving us what what you know Kessel actually is. Um, even though it's not kind of, you know, originated from, from Georgia, apart from the word. So it's, it's kind of interesting to think, you know, we're, we're going to, for the first time, we're going to have these, these things pop up where I'm sure eventually, you know, we'll get to talk, we'll hear George talking and, and he'll say, well, you know, that wasn't really what I had in mind. Or, uh-huh, you, know, you, know what, you know what's interesting? You know what's interesting, Paul? I, I, I'm sorry to interrupt, but um, in the trivia guide on StarWars.com, it re- it's revealed that the look of Kessel is actually based on notes by George Lucas, he actually did have impact on wow. the aesthetic design for the planet. That's according to StarWars.com. Cool. Well, that's good to know. But, but it, it was notes of George Lucas as opposed to any kind of concept work by any mm. of the, anybody else. So, um, but it, it, obviously George intended for it to have that, that look. Um, Jim, speaking of George, we know from the press conference and we know from a video that was shown on StarWars.com that George has seen this episode, that Dave screened it for him a number of weeks ago, and that he looked on it favorably. But Paul brings up an interesting thought. What we have here is we now have a an indirect, we'll say, interpretation of the Star Wars universe as created by George Lucas. 
as opposed to the Clone Wars, which was a very direct interpretation because George was, was overseeing it. There are aspects of this show that some would argue would say are so much more in tune and in line with what they deem Star Wars to be than, say, the Clone Wars or the prequel trilogy. The thing that we're going to miss is the evolution that George has taken his universe on throughout the prequels and and the Clone Wars. Do we run the risk of Star Wars being now frozen in time, in a sense, so that it doesn't evolve anymore? Uh, It just is kind of, it remains stagnant in basically a what would George do scenario? No, I don't think so at all. And I, I think as we see future films being released, that it's going to probably take Star Wars in directions we never conceived of before, much less George Lucas himself. So, I, but I mean, right out of the gate, there's going to be those obvious comparisons. There's going to be the obvious connection because the, 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 the connection is still strong there. I mean, the man just stepped away, and these are the first stories being told without his input. This and, of course, the, the Gendy Tartakovsky series also, I, I believe George had minimal input on as well. And we saw what happened with that series. It's basically been swept under the rug by Lucasfilm. And, uh, <laughs> and they, they, nobody really has. Talk. You're right. It really has. It's nobody nowhere to be found. Nobody even talks about it. Yeah. Um, but I think, I think at that time, I mean, George was really leaning toward wrapping it up shortly after Revenge of the Sith. I think he was going to kickstart Clone Wars and step away. That was his plan. He was quoted several times in many interviews as far as saying that, but he ended up sticking around. So, um, so obviously his impact was hugely felt on Clone Wars. And now with this just starting off, the new era, the, the Lucas-less era of Star Wars is definitely off and running um yeah you know there's going to be obvious and very strong connections to what he created but no i i think uh the the franchise itself and the saga itself is 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 not in any danger of uh of uh halt of evolution i i think it's going to keep growing and growing but maybe not so much with rebels right out of the gate just because of its its placement on the timeline it's firmly between two lucas established mythologies with the two trilogies the prequel trilogy and the original trilogy but as you see star wars episode 7 and beyond i think we're going to start really seeing the the story go in different directions and breaking new grounds and going outside the box as as it's always done Pete, the, um, I don't know, when I was watching the episode and I saw them uh, stealing the blasters and then basically selling them on the black market for some food to feed the locals and, and freeing, you know, maybe a couple of dozen Wookiees, the, the term uh, peeing in the ocean kind of came to mind. It just seemed, it just seemed so fruitless in a, in a sense. I mean, yes, you're making a difference to dozens of people but when you think about the entire galaxy being under the thumb of of the empire um what do you think the end game is for for these guys i mean do you think that at this point they envision there being some sort of galactic uh conflict or are they working out their their own issues perhaps what do you think the what do you think their heads are as far as uh what they're accomplishing I think that's going to be the most interesting part of the development of all these characters is just seeing how they come together and, and how they got to be where they're at. Uh, they 
alluded to that a couple of times in in the uh, in this first episode of uh, you know saying that they lost their their families and the empire was responsible and all that things. But I, I think to to your point, um, it's probably at this point not in any way, shape, or form in the sense of a galactic conflict. It's really local. It's what can I do to um, get a little bit of pain out of that empire that's caused me some. And so I, I think it, it it will only turn into something galactic and a little more um, universal once they start to see that this is happening all over the galaxy. But to, to Jim's point, I think they're still on the local level. And, you know, I, part of rebellions are, are that they, they get squashed out really quickly if they try and do too much too early. So the, this idea of, of being local to this planet or to this jurisdiction, I guess, for lack of a better term for it, makes it a little more impactful for them. They feel like they are doing something and not really understanding the the global oppression that may be going on. They they do feel like they're making a difference and feel like they can continue to have small victories that turn into larger ones. You know, one of the things I think that is uh, fun about this this series, Paul, and you you, you mentioned the the Han Solo comparisons and... Mm -hmm. um, you know, one of the things that was criticized about the prequels is that you didn't really have that Han Solo perspective, the everyman, you know, looking at all these, you know, crazy um, events going on and all these mystical powers and wizards and all of that. Um, with this series, I think we're very much going to be seeing uh, things evolve through the eyes of Ezra. Uh, there was a that sequence when he when they got into space and he said wow i i'm i'm in space so is do you think ezra is going to be sort of the uh the way that we the way that this unfolds as as we talked about it'll evolve into more of a uh maybe a system-wide conflict and a galactic-wide conflict is this are we going to be seeing this through um through ezra's eyes well i mean i i think so because i mean you know clearly ezra is the the one that has you know just been introduced to the crew of the ghost and so so he kind of occupies the the audience's position in the story um so yeah i mean i, mean, I think so and uh, the, i mean the thing that's kind of interesting about this for me is just the fact that you know everybody did complain about a, a lack of that kind of solo aspect in the prequels and and you know a lot of people really missed that and uh, it took a while for kind of like Obi-Wan and Anakin to kind of fulfill some of those you know, personality traits and, and give us a little bit of cheek and things like that. Um, but for me, it is almost like these, these characters are kind of, you know, all variations of aspects of Han, but, you know, in the, they're, all, you know they're all a little bit outside the law and, and they're all up to kind of, you know, rebellious stuff. But, I mean... I think it's definitely Ezra's, Ezra's story to an extent, but I think um, it, it's a story that we've heard, you know, before already. And I think, like, you know, what you were, when you were talking about um, whether or not this kind of spark of rebellion is, is a realistic kind of, you know, uh, conceit for them to have, I think that when, when the story pans out as we know it does, which is basically kind of like a bunch of teddy bears kind of defeat the evil empire, you know, you realise <laughs> that the, the, the theme that we've had since the beginning is that, you know, the little guy can make a difference and all it takes is one person to, to sort of really, really make a difference. And I think so we're just, you know, we're obviously exploring the same themes here. I think it's like this little kid who, you know, for whatever reason is on his own and, and got nothing essentially apart from what he, what he steals is... It's probably going to end up becoming quite an important figure, and and given that we've got like you know a five year arc, I think he, we're, we're probably going to see him 
grow up at least as much as we saw Ahsoka grow up, and and I'm sure that his story will be uh, he'll he'll definitely evolve. I'm certain of that. I can see that the, the character is such a blank slate at the moment. I think he's they must have you know um, big ideas for where he's going to go. Yeah, I'm also interested in where he came from. I, his lineage, I think, is is interesting. How did he go unnoticed? Um, obviously, the Empire has a has a huge presence on Lothal. So, um, how did he um, how did he escape whatever um, purge there may have been on force sensitive children uh, and all of that? I, I think it's it's really really going to be a, fu- a fun character to watch. Now, Jim, we've discussed I think at great lengths the visual language of this series, but let's talk about a little bit about the audio language and start with something that's very near and dear to your heart, and that's the music. Kevin Kiner back on board as the composer for this series and. We were very uh, let's let's say it. We were very critical of not what we were hearing in the Clone Wars because I think Kevin. We were all convinced of Kevin's enormous talent, but we were disappointed that there wasn't more of the recurring Williams themes in the Clone Wars. But uh, I would say that they've gone in the complete opposite direction, and there's tons of John Williams in Rebels. Yeah, and I think that's the way to do it. Come out of the gate, maybe even a little heavy-handed with the musical cues and the recycling of them. Um, And then expand into some fresh themes and and some new sounds for the overall show. I wish the Clone Wars had gone in that direction because what it does is it permanently stamps that Star Wars seal on what you're doing, and then you branch out from that. And I think that's the most important thing instead of saying, look how different this production is compared to everything else right out of the gate because then it makes it hard for you to sort of associate your your love for Star Wars when you're you're missing that that major element that it, I mean it really really makes it Star Wars so I I think it's a good idea come out very heavy with the the Williams music recycle a lot of that same music and then start branching off and I'm I'm I'd like to hear specific themes for Hera and Ezra and Kanan and Sabine and even Chopper or even Callus you know let's mm. let's start expanding from uh you know after you've established the the Star Wars stamp on what you're doing. No, we're not so, complaining uh, already, are we? That it was too no, much. No, 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 not at all. Not at all. He said, not at all. Not at yeah. all. And, I, you know, and, I'm not, and I'm not going in the exact opposite direction. However, I think that maybe, you know, once we get to about mid-season, if we're not hearing some unique musical cues, then that might be an issue. All right, let's that, listen to there there is actually a, an audio clip which I, this is awesome. So the guys hats off to the guys running starwars.com because the content I hope they can keep it up because the content that's out surrounding this this first episode is is phenomenal. In fact, they even have a, a an audio clip uh of Kevin's work here. This this is a cue called Storm the Ship. So let's listen to this for a minute. So there you go. I I think they actually, I think Kevin does a phenomenal job in this. I think that, I mean, obviously you hear underneath 
um, you hear a multitude of of uh, references from uh, William stuff, most notably the the force theme that's buried in there. I think this is exactly exactly the right balance, and I think it is precisely what was missing from the Clone Wars. It was it really would have I think for me taken the Clone Wars from from great to just phenomenal off the charts to to have that establish the environment uh the atmosphere as we talk about uh on on the series i just think it was a it was a huge oversight on the series and seeing it and hearing it in rebels cements that i think it was a grave miscalculation yeah i mean there's just certain things you have to have it's the oxygen right paul yep got it warm (laughs) Uh, so what do you guys, what do you guys think of, uh, Pete, what do you think about the, the music? Did you, did it, did it feel like Star Wars right away or, or was it, was it something else? It felt Star Wars from, from moment one. And I, I do think that that was something that was missing in, in the Clone Wars and, and they, I feel like they did nail it pretty well. And, uh, I, I think it'll continue to evolve and, and be a, a really influential part of the series and, and how this group comes together we we do start to see those themes and and i'm very excited to see it because the the execution was just spot on for the first episode i i I thought Stu paul something visually that i've never seen in an official uh way on screen is you know boy nothing says occupation like uh an imperial star destroyer hanging out in the atmosphere uh, above the capital city, that is that's a level of uh, that we've 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 never seen. But it sure was cool, wasn't it? Big time intimidation, isn't it? It's like oh. now let me now who's in charge? Like, <laughs> uh, yeah, enormous. I, I was I was really impressed with how how little kind of you know detail they got away with. You know the fact that they could still kind of give us that sense of scale. You know without without like massively complex geometry. I mean, if you look really closely at the underbelly of the, of the Star Destroyer, there's hardly any kind of three-dimensionality to it at all. It's, it's mostly just kind of drawn on the surface, and yet it still works. Mm. So like, hats off for that. I mean, it felt really, really kind of impressive and, and intimidating. But, uh, I, mean, I mean, just, yeah, I mean, the, the whole thing felt like... Um, it, I, I love the fact that the whole town felt like it was designed by Ralph, you know, the fact that they'd borrowed so heavily from so many of his paintings. And it was brilliant just to sort of see how many vehicles they, they dropped in the mix that, that Joe had done. And, um, but something, something while well, we're on the subject of sound and music and what have you as well, uh, did you guys think that, you know, when the, when the, um, when the uh, scout walkers were walking around, that the, the audio track they had for the scout walkers was so loud, it sounded like, um, like they had crates of bottles inside the, inside the <laughs> just come back from the pub or something, you know? <laughs> like when there are bottles rolling around in those things? Like, you listen to it, when they walk in, it's like, it just sounds like crates of, of beer, you know? <laughs> that could explain the Imperials' ineptitude in this episode. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe it does. Well, they, they are British, so I mean, it's quite possible. <laughs> oh, not only, Paul, I'm glad you mentioned, not only are they British, but I think this is the first time we've ever... We've ever had that fourth wall broken in the, in the sense that, all right, we know that they all have accents. So when Ezra is impersonating the Imperials, he goes and he does the accent. I think that's the first time we've ever seen that. I know, I know. I mean, I always, I, I always laugh when the when the Brits turn up and they're in, the, you know, they're English. I mean, but I mean, Zeb's Zeb's a Brit too, so well, that's you know, true. Off, you know, but yeah, it was, it was. But you don't see way. Han foeing a British accent when he's saying, "Oh, we're we're okay here now. How are you?" Uh, 
the I know it's the the officers. You know, the top brass are always the aristocracy. They're always like you know yeah, rebel scum. Right. You know, and then like, and then like the lower your rank gets, the more cockney they become. They're all like, <laughs> whoa, leave that, whoa, you know, sling your hook. There is a there is a great uh, ad campaign for Hulu uh, here in the states, and right. it was a thing with a bunch of uh, Brits, and it was about how all supervillains are British. had ben kingsley in the spot and uh the guy from the mummy and uh, some other guys it was it was funny it's true uh jim the sound effects i want to throw it over to you here um and we've talked about this a little bit in the in the in the lead-in but the sound effects are uh largely at least the 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 iconic ones are largely recycled they're not they're not recreating the sounds of speeder bikes in in um, ATST walkers. There, this is what we heard in the films. Yeah, the guys at Skywalker Sound confirmed that with us too uh, when we were out there last month. And uh, yeah, I think it's great. Um, I really appreciate the fact that the soundtrack, the music from Kevin Kiner, isn't wall to wall on this thing, so I can uh, pick some some sound effects you know right off the episode and add them to my collection because I mean, kind of a weird thing you know for a Star Wars collector to collect, but I've always collected audio from Star Wars, and I've you know gone through each and every film just you know scene by scene and isolated what i can you know just by stripping it raw or at, you know using some sort of uh editing tricks to to get the sound where i want it and uh i have you know file folders upon file folders of star wars sounds over the years and you know a lot of people used to say to me about 10 years ago why do you waste your time doing that what are you ever going to use that stuff for i said i'll find some use for it little <laughs> did they know yeah <laughs> little indeed did little they, did they know you know so, but <laughs> i but i got to say it reminded me jimmy i mean you you just did masterful work with uh uh the the radio drama that you did at star wars celebration and but you were you were limited because you had this fixed palette of audio to choose from and now that's exactly what the guys at skywalker are are dealing with is that it's they're dealing with um prior art in all these cases right and i asked those guys i said does that bug you as a sound designer that you're not creating new things and putting your own stamp on it and I, i think the overall impression is well, these sounds are so much fun to play with. I mean, these these classic Star Wars sounds are just too much fun. Uh, you know, we love using it, and uh, and 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 I, I imagine we're going to be expanding that vocal vocabulary, much like the music vocabulary of the show, as the show evolves. I think we'll start hearing a lot more unique sound design as it goes along, and I hope it's sound design that is firmly consistent and has its place within those original trilogy sounds. I, I really think that uh, that's the trick right there. That's the real trick is, is how, how honest can you be when creating sounds for uh, star Wars and then, you know, appropriating them for the original trilogy era. It's gotta be, it's gotta be a challenge because let's face it, you're stepping in the footsteps of Ben Burt who really firmly established what the sound is like in in this universe. So you got to, you know, do all the right things. You have to combine the mechanic with the organic and bring it all together to create this unique sound environment. And, and I, I certainly think the guys over there on the crew are up to the task. 
so expect expansion of the the audio vocabulary as the show goes along. That's that's what I think is going to happen, and I, I really hope they do a great job with it. Pete, at the end of this episode, where are we? Where where do they leave us? What are the big what are the big things that um, you're going to be looking forward to seeing as the series evolves? Um, at the very end, the Inquisitors there. Um, the the cat's out of the bag on 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 Kanan. He kind of outs himself in a very public way. Uh, what are some other things that you're going to be uh, uh, chomping at the bit to see how it how it pans out? Well, I think the key is just to see the evolution of the group. And and the most important thing you can do in almost any series, regardless of whether it's Star Wars or any other TV show, is, is to establish the characters and and make you care about what they're going to be doing and and where they came from. And I think they did a very good job of that initially here, but that needs to continue to evolve, and we need to keep tuning back in every week just to see what happens to those characters. And, you know, like you said, we're going to have the big foil uh, coming their direction with the Inquisitor, and, uh, you know, you'll see whether they actually take this seriously as something that's going to be a threat to them or if they're just trying to really move through their oppression a little bit further and, and squash down anything that may happen and if it blows up in their face and uh, really just the ultimate uh, way of, of uniting all of this to what's actually going to happen in episode four yeah i think uh pete you just answered the the question i asked uh, a while back which is how do we see this escalating and at the very end Kanan outing himself to uh, uh callus and callus uh, reporting this to the inquisitor uh, I think that's that's what's going to bring the eyes of the Empire down on Lothal in a in a in a in a, in a big way. Yeah, there's a, there's a Jedi on the loose. No question. That was Kanan's "I am Iron Man" moment. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and 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 Callus put together very quickly that uh, that he was dealing with a Padawan and an apprentice, or excuse me, a, a jet master and apprentice type situation too. Yeah, well, when you see Ezra and the way he jumps around and everything, you, yeah. you immediately recognize the fact that this guy has some sort of force ability. There's no question about that, and and Callus recognized that. Yeah, boy can jump. He's got game. We're yeah. gonna. It's gonna be fun to watch. Yeah, I mean, I, I've got to say, I mean, I, I think there are so many things in this show that just make me kind of got me excited, you know. And I think you know we were talking about being resistant to change, and uh, you know having kind of like maybe too narrow an idea of, of what Star Wars can be. And for for me, you know, I wasn't too sure about Rebels when I first got a look at it. And, and, and the more kind of open I got to it, the more I kind of feel like it just the, the, the more there's going to be to enjoy in the future, you know, the more stuff there's going to be. I don't think it's uh, being resistant to change is a quality to pursue, put it that way. And I think uh, with Star Wars, I think it's inevitable. I mean, it's such a big universe. They've got to... They've got to shake things up a little bit just to keep it interesting, you know? The only thing that doesn't make me wonder is exactly if, we, if we're still with Ezra when he's in his 20s, is how big is his nose going to be? <laughs> <laughs> it's big now. He's going to look like Sam the Bald Eagle. By the time he's <laughs> That's the question, isn't it? Is yeah. how, just how big is, yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, I know I've got a long nose myself, you know, but. <laughs> he's got the force in his nose. That's where he keeps it. <laughs> it's the source of his power. <laughs> Did anybody else think that the, the, the ghost looked like the Narcissus, you know, the escape pod from um, 
the Nostromo in the Alien movies. I think it looks really like it. I don't know if you guys have. You know what? God, I was just watching Alien last night. I didn't even consider that, but uh, you know, there's a lot of aesthetic similarities between the uh, used universe of Star Wars and the used universe of Alien. Uh, There's no question about that. But yeah, that that, that's a good point to bring up. Does does it bother anyone at this roundtable? Does it bother anyone that the ghost? The cockpit of the ghost is so clearly derivative of the Millennium Falcon. Do you think that's like maybe some territory that should be left to no, the Falcon? No, no, no more. No, no more so than the fact that, you know, the cockpit of my car, which is a Ford, looks very similar to somebody who's driving a Toyota. All right. Right. Mm-hmm. All right. Would, would think, there, aren't, wouldn't there be certain standards that you'd have? I think what was more yeah. troubling to me was just the fact that the Imperial Guards are so bad that you can just hide behind a little stair and, and you can escape real easy. You know, when it's. <laughs> Like, they're like the worst guards ever. They've got like a room that's about five foot square, and there's a just in the corner by a stair, and they just wander past it. I do love when he traps the two uh, stormtroopers in, uh, in, yeah, right. in the holding cell, and they just kind of look at each other. I have to that. Wow. Like, how'd that happen? And if you I noticed, think- when, the, when, when they end up, because you hear, I think, Callus talking to one of them, they're not British. They got, no. they got dumb American accents. <laughs> Those guys. <laughs> <laughs> so we're the dummies. You guys are evil. We're dumb. The British guys would have shot themselves to pretend like he actually did something to escape. I <laughs> thought <laughs> <laughs> Oh, we are in for one heck of a ride here with Star Wars Rebels. I I, I have to say that um, in so many ways, this episode or this series so far reminds me of the feeling that I got many times throughout the Clone Wars where I would say, boy, does this feel like the Star Wars animated series or ongoing series that I always dreamed of as a kid. And... No one will ever take away my love of the Clone Wars. It it, it is um, it was something very magical and very special, and still holds up in a big way. But for those of us that fell in love with that original adventure from 1977 to 1983, this really does feel like a continuation of that spirit and that energy, and um, and really the perfect fusion of that along with what we know uh, from the prequels uh, we've got holocrons we've got uh, we've got a jedi that missed out on on the purge we've got a a, a, a a padawan potentially so there are definitely going to be carryovers from one trilogy into the this era uh that is sort of the connective tissue of the next trilogy so i i don't think that this is in any way an abandonment of of the prequels or the Clone Wars, I think with Dave Filoni in charge, he's not going to let that happen. And um, but I, for one, couldn't be more excited about the future of this series. Uh, Pete, any uh, any last words? Uh, the only thing I, I really have to say is that uh, we're, we're 
extremely blessed to have Dave Filoni involved in all of this. And you can feel his handprints. And, and as his influence continues to grow, I think that's a good thing for all of us. And I just can't wait to see what's what's going to happen next. It's, it's so much fun to continually have episodic television of Star Wars that we all uh, would have given our right leg for as kids. Uh, you know, we, we we're just inundated with so much material right now and, and you don't have to love it all. Just enjoy the fact that it's there. Amen. Paul, what say you? I say, uh, it's fantastic to see a show with so much Ralph and Joe and Nilo and all their wonderful art kind of turning up. You know, I've seen a lot of comments online where people are sort of saying they're using kind of, you know, abandoned concepts or, or stuff that didn't make the grade. But when you've got designers of that caliber, you know, they're, they're, even their stuff that kind of, it doesn't reach the finish line is if, of such a top standard. It's, it's got to be a great starting point. But the only thing I'm, I'm looking forward to now is, is that it's quite clear, even at this early stage, at some point, Nina Tilts and Starkiller from Unleashed are going to turn up and they'll be the start of the rebellion. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Joke. Like, yeah. Well, no. I, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't, I wouldn't uh, be sorry to see something like that, but <laughs> I don't know if we will. Uh, Jimmy Mack, final words. Final All thoughts. Right, Final thoughts on Spark of Rebellion. What a great jump start to this series. There's an intangible element of Star Wars that a lot of people, a lot of fans don't talk about when we analyze and criticize anything, any entry into the Star Wars universe. And that is the level of fun that the, the, the story brings and how excited it gets you inside. How does it get your heart pumping? How does it get your adrenaline flowing? Remember when we were kids, we used to go see Star Wars in the theater, and there were several times you would cheer, and that was unheard of in a film. <laughs> you would outright cheer, and nobody cared how much noise you were making in that movie theater because everyone was on board. It was a thrill ride. It was a roller coaster, and that is the intangible element that Star Wars Rebels definitely possesses. I was watching the show with my kids. They were yelling and screaming at the, the screen nonstop. They were... Uh, nervous about the fate of that kid Wookiee. They were uh, yelling when Zeb punched out two troopers at a time. It was just plain exciting. And that's the thrill ride that is Star Wars Rebels. Sure, we can tear apart it, tear it apart and look at the mythological or the philosophical elements of the force and uh, or the political element of the, the, the oppression going on throughout the galaxy on a whole. Those sort of plot elements and story lines are so important to star wars but the intangible element of the thrill ride of star wars is definitely evident in star wars rebels and that's what's going to make this show work week after week i predict we have a big hit on our hands guys already a second season on the uh on the the order for a second season from disney so i think it is going to be a big hit and we'll be here at Rebel Force Radio and Star Wars Rebels Declassified just about each and every week to break it all down for you. Thank you for joining us. Big thanks to the panel. We'll see you all next time. Love you all so much for Rebel Force Radio, Star Wars Rebels Declassified. I'm Jason. I'm Jimmy Mack. And remember, the Force will be with you always. Always.